Are you considering taking a break from alcohol? Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption? Are you thinking about quitting for good and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I am so grateful you are here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking or quit for good, I finally reached out for help because I just couldn't do it alone. Letting others help me is why I am here today and living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be more receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write your thoughts about my podcast on Apple Reviews. The greater number of reviews allows the visibility of my show to increase, and that way it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments, or if you just want to connect. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Hi, everyone. I hope you are doing well today, and I want you to know how much I appreciate you joining me for a compelling episode with my guest, Mike Gavani. Mike and I will discuss an issue that comes up for many of us in addiction or recovery, and that issue is past traumas and unhealed trauma. Mike, who has 16 years of sobriety, is a certified holistic health and wellness coach and a certified addiction recovery coach. He has a private practice working one-on-one with those searching for further healing in recovery. He also hosts a podcast called The Healing Beyond Recovery. As I love to show in each episode, Mike is yet another example of a life dramatically changed after getting sober. Welcome, Mike. I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm really excited for my listeners to learn more about you and how you arrived where you are today and about your Healing Beyond Recovery program. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah, for giving me the opportunity to speak on your platform. And hello to all your listeners, and I'm really happy to be here today. Good. I just have to say, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Uh, close. It's Gavoni, but it's okay. It's, it's better than most. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, so for the listeners, it's G-O-V-O-N-I. So I will put this all in the show notes so you know where to find him after you listen today. So Mike, you are very knowledgeable and experienced in all things trauma and addiction and recovery. Um, There's a lot of talk about that right now. Uh, Trauma being kind of the root um, of at the, at the root of addiction. Um, Why is this the case? Mm. Yeah, I think what's happening is there's a lot of um, breakthroughs on the front of of science, right? You have Dr. Stephen Porges' work coming through with the polyvagal theory, which has transformed uh, therapy in the way the nervous system is uh, looked at. We have the understanding from Bessel van der Kolk's work, uh, medical doctor Bessel van der Kolk, uh, with the book, The Body Keeps the Score, understanding that you know trauma is held in the soma, in the body, right? The issues are in the tissues. And we have the work of Gabor uh, Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate, talking about trauma and addiction. So we have all these you know, very intelligent um, uh, doctors and researchers really looking at the nervous system in a new way, looking at addiction, looking at the correlation of addiction and trauma, which is, which is creating a new way of seeing um, the addict or, or the person who's become addicted. Um, and I think we're moving beyond kind of older paradigms of just regular 12-step models. And we're actually uh, opening up our, our awareness and consciousness to see, wow, maybe there's a, a bigger picture here. So 
that's why I think, you know, personally things are evolving the way evolving and particularly my own story. Um, I know to be true of the reason I suffered from addiction was uh, an attempt to regulate my nervous system from trauma, an attempt to um, anesthetize myself from the pain that was underneath it. So that's kind of my take on addiction and trauma. And it's really exciting time to be part of this, you know, revolution and this shift of consciousness amongst the recovery community. So yeah, that's, that's my take on that. That's great. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of this kind of sober revolution, if you will, and um, recovering out loud and, and normalizing it, I guess, you know, I hate to say normalizing addiction, but it is the case. It's, it's happening all over the world. And I think, you know, after this past year, I think it's probably um, grown exponentially. Um, now, do you think that m most alcoholics and addicts have had some kind of trauma in their lives? Like, do you, do you have a feel for like a percentage, I guess? Yeah, I, I haven't met one person that's in recovery from substance abuse that hasn't experienced trauma. Now, wow. I've spent three years uh, supporting three emergency rooms, almost three years supporting three emergency rooms in the Boston area for the opiate epidemic. And, um, you know, being there in the front line of people just overdosing and passing, you know, some passing away, some making it. And, you know, in my own private practice and then knowing, you know, just the, everyone in the recovery community that, that I, you know, kind of uh, was, was um, connected with, I, I, haven't met, I haven't met anyone that hasn't experienced uh, some sort of trauma that's become addicted. And I, I think, you know, the root of, of addiction is, is trauma. And I think that's where we need to go in order to experience what I like to call the healing beyond recovery. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating, and and I can't wait to to, to talk more about that in a few minutes. Um, now, I guess if you can explain uh, from your experience trauma, like the, I think there is this uh, kind of most people think trauma means that you you have to have like a formal diagnosis of PTSD that you've ha you had to be sexually molested or in some kind of violent, like a really violent war where, you know, mass casualties, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm getting the sense that trauma now looks more like there's like a spectrum of trauma and trauma is trauma. So can you speak to that as well? Of course, Sarah. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Trauma is very much on a spectrum. And, you know, some people say big T's, little T's, big T's of trauma being sexual molestation, you know, abuse, war trauma, things of that nature, little T's, you know, being, you know, just kind of um, like uh, attachment traumas, uh, lack of attunement, things of that nature as a child. And I like one approach of a good friend who's part of Bessel's team. He talks about, uh, you know, there's no such thing as big T's and little T's. It's whatever happened to you because of the situation. Everyone's nervous system is, is at a different place. And some people experience the same situation, but don't get traumatized. My sister growing up, she never developed disease. She never developed addiction. She went through a lot, a lot of the same things, same parents, whatever the case may be. But her resiliency was obviously probably um, much greater at the time than my one, mine was, you know. And so it's, it's, it is really on a spectrum. And we, we have to really understand that, um, you know, it's not what happens to you. It's what happens within you when the situation mm -hmm. happens. So yes, there are big, treat, uh, big, big, big traumas like sexual molestation, abuse, neglect, but there's also other traumas that are more subtle that you wouldn't suspect their trauma. For example, like the lack of attunement from a mother as a caregiver, if the mother is anxious and she can't attune to her baby properly and that little baby's nervous system you know, becomes overactive and, and can't find its, uh, its, its place, then 
you know, that can be traumatizing. If, 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 you know, if the mother is not available for the child, right? Children need presence, like presence of me and you, right? In a, regu in a regulated way. They don't need more presence like plastic toys. They really want your presence. And I think that's really important. And in fact, children know when, you know, their mom's present and they're not present. Uh, it, it, you know, and, and they'll often, you know, look for your attention more in certain ways. And if you're really busy and you can't really give them that because your nervous system is not regulated, then the child's nervous system will feel that, right? And in fact, the, the, if you want to regulate a household, you know, you first have to regulate the parents. You first have to uh, allow the parents to have some tools, tips, and practices so they can calm their nervous system so the children can feel that, the, the children can attune to that, right? I, I forget exactly what the number is, but maybe between zero and 18 months or 24 months, I'm not exactly sure. I have to relook up this as, you know, we don't have the ability to self-regulate. As, as, as babies, our mother is, is our regulator. And when our mother has experienced trauma and her nervous system is you know, above the window of tolerance or below hypo or hyper aroused, you know, the baby feels that. The baby doesn't have that ability to attune properly. So um, it's, it's very interesting. You know, that's how we can pass down generational trauma and generational trauma gets passed down generation to generation unconsciously. Not, you know, and this isn't to say, you know, if you're listening, you're a bad mom. If you're passing on trauma, it's okay. It happens. We all affect our children in negative ways. None of us is going to be a perfect parent. We're all going to mess up somehow. And, but the best thing is to really begin to educate yourself and begin to know and notice, wow, my nervous system is, is at threshold. I'm, I'm, you know, not regulated most of the time. My husband's not regulated most of the time. And there's a lot of chaotic energy or it's busy and, and the kids feel that and the house seems busy. Well, how do we begin to reverse that, right? Some therapists will say, well, you know, when you think your kid needs assistance or needs help, so a good therapist, I think, would say, you know, well, let's get the parents in. First, why? Because the parents spend most of the time with their children. They already have established trust and relationship with them. If we can give the parent tools and tips of regulation, of moving through things, of doing their own therapy, that's going to directly affect the kid. So I know I'm kind of going off a little bit to the right with this answer, but there's all different spectrums of trauma. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting is that I, I find, I've heard it time and time again that, um, you know, it's the mother, the mother that, that we're talking about when it comes to, you know, childhood trauma and neglect. And, and why is that? Like, is it because we carry the children in our wombs? It, is it, um, it, why is that? Is it because the moms are expected to be the nurturers? Um, is, I, I'm curious to know why, why usually it goes to the mom. I can't say I know for sure, mm -hmm. but you know, I can speculate that there's, there's, you know, that the child gets raised in the uterus of the mother, mm -hmm. that, that, that bond is established. You know, the child is actually growing and developing inside the mom. Yeah. You know, there, there's a very intimate connection. The mother is through that, through the, you know, the, the placenta and, and the umbilical cord, and the, the, the baby's receiving the oxygen, the nutrients, the food she's eating. So I can only imagine that it's, it's that type of tight connection and bond that a mother and child, but don't get me wrong, dads pass down um, trauma too to their children. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's not just a, a mother thing for sure, but I can speak from my own experiences I experienced my first trauma in utero, in my mom's uh, womb. And I know that directly affected my nervous system to develop autoimmune disease and cognitive issues as an adult. Um, so I, I've kind of had to explore that territory myself. And from doing that, I've realized this bond between you know, mother and child is really the strongest on, on earth. 
And even when a mother abuses her child and say DSS or, or the state comes to take the child away, the child will still scream and beg for the mom, just even though the mom abuses the child because that's their life. That's their, that the, they don't survive without the mom. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's complex. I don't have the answers to all of it, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I appreciate you trying to answer. It's just, I guess it's a, a question that's always been on my mind, but um, that makes sense. Um, but yes, both parents, I think, can play a, a very large role <laughs> in sure. um, passing down trauma. Can I ask a personal question? I know I've heard you speak on other podcasts and, and we spoke before about your first trauma being in the womb. Mm -hmm. can you, I'm curious, can you say more about that? Yeah, so when, when, my, mom was, um, or when my mom was pregnant with me, um, at this time she was a wife, she was a mother of my sister who was two years older than me, and she was married to my father at the time. And my father was a religious figure, he was a born-again Christian minister, and they had a, a big congregation, big responsibility. And, you know, my mom discovered my dad watching pornography of the same sex. And, uh, you know, he, he was gay. He, he liked men. That, that's okay. There's nothing, uh, nothing against that. I, I, and there's more to that story. Uh, but it really threw my mom for a loop because here she is, uh, 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 the minister's wife, you know, big congregation, and she finds her husband watching pornography of the same sex with two, with two kids or, or one on the way. Hmm. Um, and she didn't know what to do. And she went from kind of this whole image of my dad being this religious figure, kind of holier than thou, like I had, to all of a sudden, you know, wow, what's going on here? My husband's gay, and, and, and how does this work out? And and there were, like I say, there were some other um, layers to that, that whole story, which we can go into and not go into, whatever you choose to do. But my mom felt that shock. My mom felt like, oh my God, like I gotta get out of here. Like I can't, I can't be married to him anymore. What's the deal? And uh, I gotta leave with my kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt that for sure. I was swimming in a sea of cortisol in my mom's womb. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was, it was kind of the process of, 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 you know, leaving that situation and going on from, from there. Yeah, that is very traumatic. That's fascinating. I just find it really fascinating that, that we can experience trauma as we're growing in, in our mother's womb. And it's because of the cortisol levels that have risen. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of factors. I'm not sure if, if this is researched much or what the data is on it, but mm -hmm. um, I can only say if the mom is traumatized or is feeling trauma, then the baby uh, is most definitely feeling those neurochemicals and those, those, those chemicals that are going on yeah. uh, with, within the mom. Um, yeah, for sure. And if there's actually, if you look at the work of Stanislav Grov, he talks about... Um, interpersonal neurobiology and you know he talks about uh birth trauma and 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 um experiencing you know trauma you know before we were actually you know conceived as 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 children as, as beings so there's many layers to this mm -hmm. that i think we don't know about yeah. um yeah. you know if you believe in in reincarnation are we bringing traumas from past lives so yeah. You know, it's it's a it's it, there's a lot going on. Yeah, we could talk about a lot, and I feel like I'm pulling us in an, in another direction because I really do want to get focused on um, what you're doing today. I guess we can jump right into um, how what happened in your life to lead up to a place where you're doing what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. So I, I smile when you say that because you know how many hours do we have together? Yeah. <laughs> and, <I don't> know. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a lot to my story. It's very, very complex. Um, and we all have a story. That's yeah. what's beautiful about all of us as, as humans. We come here, um, we, we, we experience life and, and part of life is suffering. Um, in the, the Buddhist practice, you know, the, there's four noble truths. He says, life, life has suffering. We all are going to get sick one day. We're all going to uh, get old, get sick, and we're all going to pass away. So just the, 
the, the commonality we all share. And part of my journey is, is, is some people experience more suffering than most. I like to say, I, I've, if you know the phrase, you know, no mud, no lotus, which means the lotus yeah. has a tap root that goes into the deep, dirty, dirty, smelly, murky mud. And, and, but then she has this beautiful flower above the water and she blooms and she needs that mud to survive. And when I think of that, like I like to say, I've had enough suffering to bloom my lotus. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this podcast today and you're in recovery, you've had enough suffering to bloom your lotus. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by blooming your lotus is I mean, you've had enough suffering to shift your consciousness. You've had enough suffering to awaken, right? Mm-hmm. You have had enough suffering to um, move beyond the compounds of, of just me, I, what happened to me, my story, to wow, I'm, I'm this wonderful whole being, you know, with all my imperfections, but I'm perfect just the way I am. All the things that happened to me were a catalyst for me to evolve as this human on this on this uh, journey of evolution. And that's, that's my story is I don't look at anything that happened to me today as, as I'm a victim. It was all in service to my awakening. Mm. But we have to stop pushing away the negative in the, in the pain and we have to begin to embrace it. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and suffering or, or you were in active addiction and you, you found recovery, then great. You know what it's like to experience enough pain to make a change, to put down the drink, right? And in fact, we, we can't make a change until we let the truth of what's going on set in. So maybe the truth of my life has become unmanageable and I can't drink booze or wine anymore, right? Or, you know, and that's the only, the, only the beginning. My story encompasses the most suffering I experienced happened in my ninth year of recovery, right? So I, I got into uh, I got into recovery when I was when I was 21. Up until that point, I used drugs from ages 11 to 21. I'm going to give you a real snapshot of my 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 kind of career here as an as a active um, substance abuse user. And I met my match at 18 years old with OxyContin's. Now, during that time of 16, 17, 18, I was discovering my dad's secret just like my mom did. I'm very intuitive. I I, I connect. Um, uh, let's just, yeah, I'm very intuitive and something told me to go look under his mattress. I did, I found pornography too, mm. right? And at that point, a computer was in my house. We got a computer, it was in the late, two, early 2000s, rather late 1990s, maybe early 2000s. And, you know, there was some stuff going on in the house that was odd. If he was up till all, all hours of the night, he was looking at the computer, he was talking to people that were just, you know, he was ignoring us, his, his children. And, and what we realized is, you know, he had a secret life and he had a secret life before he met my mom. And in fact, when he met my mom, he actually walked into my grandmother's house in full Roman, Roman collar, um, uh, Catholic, uh, you know, uh, robes. And my dad was a, was a well-known Catholic priest. And if you know where this story is going, at 17, 18 years old, I started finding the pornography. The Catholic abuse scandal started coming out in the news. And sure enough, he had allegations of sexual abuse uh, with, with minors, with boys, when he was in the seminary before I was born. So this was a whole world he lived before I was even born. And because of my mother's alcoholism and her trauma and finding out about him and my mom's mm-hmm. situations, my mom actually lost custody to my father and my father raised us. Now that was a good thing because uh, my mom was in- incapable of doing that with her alcoholism. Okay. Right. So all you moms out there that are doing the best you can and you have your children, kudos to you. Right. It's a beautiful thing. Keep going. Keep doing the best you can. My mom couldn't take care of us. She lost us. My dad raised us. Pedophiles touch their children or they don't touch their children. My father happened to be one that didn't touch his children. Thank God. So that wasn't my story with him, although sexual abuse is part of my story. So as you can imagine, as a young guy going through all of that, I needed something to alleviate my nerves, right? Yeah. So I picked up substances. That's why we drink and drug to, to regulate our nervous system in some way, yeah. right? Some people may be high strung like me, stuck in the sympathetic arousal fight or flight, but you may not even be conscious of this because it's just your baseline. 
That's when we talked about earlier that you're, you're going, 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 can't stop, busy, 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 anxiety provoking, things of that nature. Your nervous system may be stuck on like mine was. So I liked downers. I found opiates. Opiates brought me down. Opiates also work through the same pathways uh, as a mother's love, feeling that nurturing, that comfort, that warmth. So opiates mm. were like magic to me until like everything, it turned its back, you know, and I had a $500 a day opiate habit at wow. age 18. And, um, and that's when all the Catholic abuse scandal came out. My father's name was in the newspaper. I just graduated high school and I was 30 days sober off OxyContin. Now for the mums out there and the listeners, I went, I, I told my mom I needed help right when I was struggling off OxyContin. She said, okay, son. And at this point, my mom would kind of bounce in and out of my life. She, you know, she was in recovery, out of recovery, okay. uh, and still kind of is to this day. But she brought me to my pediatrician's office at 18 years old and said, hey, you know, here's your doc, Mike, you know, let's talk to him about what's going on. And I sat next to a baby scale at 18 years old. He did a full, you know, workup on me. He's like, okay, you're healthy. You're good to go. And I was like, good to go where? He's like, you're good to go to detox. And I was like, looking around, I was like, me, detox? And I say this compassionately now, but back in the day, my framework of thinking was only losers went to detox. I'm not going to detox. So long story short is, is I got some methadone on the street. I weaned myself off of a $500 a day habit of Oxycontins. I haven't touched opiates to this day, 18 years later. Oh, so I, I got cleaned up and then to fast forward, I got into Alcoholics Anonymous two years after that when depression kicked in and I realized I had to stop drinking. I couldn't use my marijuana and I got completely sober. I've been sober today for 16 years. And along that journey, a lot of things happened, traveled the world. It was beautiful. And then the trauma, as we know, resides in the body. I was still holding on to all this trauma. And what I mean by that is I couldn't stop running. I was in the gym twice a day. I was doing triathlons. I was chasing ladies. I was chasing external things. I was trying to make money, making up for all this lost time. And my body gave way and I developed irritable bowel disease, ulcerative colitis. Wow. And to move the story a little further, I went six mm -hmm. years on all different types of medications. And at the end, one medication that I was on was, was uh, disrupting my liver and it was giving me uh, autoimmune hepatitis. And I was in front of two doctors in the, one of the best hospitals in the world. And they said, listen, dude, you're either gonna have to think about removing your colon and you may need a liver transplant in eight years if you don't address this autoimmune hepatitis. So as you can imagine, I was at a pivotal moment there and I didn't know necessarily what to do but I knew I had to leave this framework of medicine. I left that framework of medicine and I went on a journey of holistic healing. Something happened with my liver and something happened with my brain during this time. And my sense of smell became heightened and like to the point it was, uh, became a liability. I could smell you downwind from 70 feet away if you were wearing some sort of toxic perfume or chemical. I was becoming chemical sensitive. Now the sense of smell is the only one that goes directly to the amygdala, which is your fight or flight mechanism. So that's why, you know, you smell a woman who's been, let's say, uh, raped by someone who came out of a bar or something and she smells booze on someone's breath that can trigger her right back to the moment. When we smell something, it can create a memory from years ago. Mm -hmm. It's going right into that hippocampus, into that limbic brain area and smells are very powerful. So at this point, I was nine years in recovery. I had bought in the whole house. I had done all the, you know, working for a top thousand fortune company and I was sick as a dog and I was so overstimulated. I found myself in the woods. I found myself in the woods because I needed to calm my autonomic nervous system. So literally in the woods or figuratively? Literally in, the, literally in the woods because the environment out here was too much for me. Okay. Diesel fuel, smell of cars, smell of perfume, smell of you know, products, just the pollution in the air. It was throwing my brain 
into an intense fight or flight response. Wow. So I began to practice meditation mm -hmm. and I began to breathe. I began to listen to Buddhist teachings and Buddhist meditation and mindfulness. And I began to retreat in nature because nature was solace. It was quiet. It was peaceful. I began hugging these trees, these huge oak trees, asking them for their power. Can you root me? Can you give me the power and strength that you have? And I began to meditate deeply in the woods. And in that time, I had a profound spiritual experience that led to the shift of my consciousness, mm -hmm. which is the work I help with people today. Mm -hmm. And I, I started to, you know, I had a mystical experience and, and we can get into that or not get into that. But I began to see, well, when in a mystical experience, you would say, I, I could see things as they are. The veil of duality, I dropped, I disintegrated. I was one with everything. I was the bird migrating. I was the acorn that burst into a 90 foot oak tree. There was no sense of separation. Hmm. And I knew, and eventually, you know, I, I kind of came, obviously came out of that back into the body. And I was like, oh my God, what, what just happened to me? And I, it led me on a journey to find a meditation teacher. It led me on a journey to find holistic practitioners. It med, led me on a journey to heal my childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And I kept taking steps until here I am today. That was seven years ago. And now I have a liver. I have a colon. I'm thriving and helping people on their journey. Sorry, that's the uh long yeah, that's no, you did it perfectly um, for time's sake. And, and I know it's I, you, there's much more to it. And, and I can put in show notes where um, people can go listen to your full story. Um, that was that's incredible. I mean, the, the experience you had in the woods, literally, I mean, that, I mean, that's like sounds like almost like a near death experience or out of body experience. It, it wasn't, it was, I, I do uh, um, relate it to a near-death experience because I, I didn't, because of the symptoms I was experiencing, I didn't think I was going to uh, uh, live. I didn't think I was going to mm -hmm. be alive. And rather than contracting to the fear, I opened up to the experience. I opened up with compassion for myself. I opened up to the suffering and therefore I, I transcended you know, so there's the suffering that leads to more suffering, which is the running away from your pain. And there's yeah. the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, which is turning towards your pain, moving through it and seeing with new eyes. So you can see how your pain is here as your greatest teacher. Oh, I love that. And that's where the whole Lotus, um, no mud, no Lotus comes in. Exactly. I, I love that. It's beautiful. And I know we shared before and I just have to share. I mean, I had a very similar experience not in the woods. It was actually in my basement doing a fifth step. <laughs> Wherever it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it was like a hugely transformative experience that, you know, kind of goes beyond um, language, you know, and I'm, I'm just exactly. even talking about it now. I just, I have the goosebumps going down my legs, just even referencing the experience that I had. It was just, and it was me going into the pain, like, kind of welcoming the pain, letting it like kind of not pushing it away anymore, not pushing it, pushing it down, just really just kind of embracing it ob objectively and compassionately with no judgment. And it was like, and it took, it took me seven and a half. Well, I did, I did this a, a month before my eight years of uh, sobriety. Um, and, and I, I didn't think that I had any more like recovery to do up until that point. And so I'm only sharing that for the listeners to know that like that, this is something that happens to people. Like I, I've, I've heard this time and time again, and it's, it's such a freeing experience. In recovery is, is experiential experiences, right? We can't keep conceptualizing spirits or um, God, we can experience that. We can have moments of resting in the truth of, of what's here in front of us, like you said, with openness, curiosity, compassion, mm -hmm. right? As Christ said, be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. 
He didn't say be still and scroll Facebook. <laughs> be still and know that I am God. Take time for you to go in stillness, mm -hmm. in contemplation, in meditation. Right? This is how we begin to rewire and move from the primitive fight or flight responses, dorsal vagal shutdown, depression, anxiety, and move and access the more evolutionary or the most evolutionary part of our nervous system, our prefrontal cortex, to have those experiences that me and you are talking about. Mm -hmm. Carl Jung says, we don't become enlightened by imagining images of light, but by only making the darkness conscious. Mm. So, rather than turn away from the darkness and the pain, how can we be with it in a new way where we develop that self-compassion? Because everyone who's listening, who, who, who used alcohol and drugs, you went through experiences probably that no one should have. Mm -hmm. yeah. Most of us, the, the, the closest people that we're supposed to, our caregivers and that we're supposed to love and protect, not all of them, not all of us, a lot of us though, those people that were supposed to protect us and nurture us are the ones that hurt us. So I like when you take a four step rather, rather than ask where are you selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and afraid, because once again, it's, it, it's not about you or us being a bad person as alcohol, mm -hmm. alcoholics or drug addicts. Mm -hmm. Where were we abused, neglected, abandoned and betrayed? What happened to us? It speaks to the hope, that, um, you know, giving the listeners, the, you know, those that are listening to this episode hope that, you know, if you've had trauma, if you've had, um, you know, you're, you're in that beginning stage of discovering the whys of why you're drinking that, and you have young children, you know, this isn't a like shame on you episode. Oh. It's a, listen, there's, there are answers, there are solutions, and there are ways to not having to feel the way you're feeling anymore. And you're an example of that, Mike. Um, I'm, I'm an example of that, although I do yeah. feel like I continue to evolve. Um, We're all evolving, me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's exciting now, it's not so scary. And I think that's why, uh, you know, you know, in, in really doing a lot of inventory work and like looking at ourselves and how others experience us in our pain and, and really acknowledging that. And, and also like really just kind of vomiting. I used to have dreams of vomiting feces mm. because I, it was like, you know, something I knew. Yeah. It was like my, my, I don't know what part of self that is, but my deep your subconscious sub, subconscious. Yeah, it was saying to me, you need to exercise, not exercise, but exorcise something mm. um, deeply in, in your Beautiful. soul. And I, and I gratefully, you know, I trusted my, my heart and the longings of my heart um, in recovery to, to do things that would help heal me further. And, and I didn't really want to have dreams anymore of mm. vomiting feces. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but beyond that, like it, like that, that, that really coming face to face with that pain, a lot of, I know I've heard people say, and I've experienced the same feeling that you feel like when we get, when we touch that pain, when we see it, when we hold it, when we acknowledge it, that it's so painful that it's going to kill us. That's where you want to go. So that is, that's a beautiful point right there. And, and we can get into this or not get into this, but as traumatized victims, see trauma is energy. When things happen to us, <gasps> right? It, it's, an, it's, it's, an, it's energy that gets stuck in the nervous system. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an incomplete cycle. Your nervous system was too overwhelmed when the situation happened. So the energy of trauma gets stuck in the nervous system and creates disease, creates mental illness, creates all these trauma responses, anxiety, depression, right? Whatever it may be. So understanding that and realizing that it's a process of, of 
when you say like we, we, we have to begin to move the energy out of the system. Now, when, when people feel that energy coming out of the system in different ways, it can feel like the original trauma, like you're mm -hmm. gonna die. Mm -hmm. But it's through being with it and being able to resource and hold it and being guided by someone that knows how to do this, you can let, you can pendulate, you can titrate the energy out of the system. But because we're evolved, the prefrontal cortex says, no, 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 don't feel that. Don't, 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 don't go there. Don't, don't cry. Stay strong. Don't let anybody see me. And us humans and domesticated animals are the ones that keep suffering from trauma. But when the deer in your yard gets chased by a coyote, when, the, when he outruns the coyote and the coyote has gone, he doesn't think about the coyote. But how many of us are still thinking about the story of what happened to us? That's right. because the memory, the trauma, right, is still present in the mind body. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that. No. And this is like a, this is my, if I can say anything to the recovery community, it's, you know, we're, we're not bad people. We're a whole, just the way we are. Some of us are the most gifted people. And yet, we suffer from trauma and you can do all the work you can do in a 12 step, which is great and other programs, but trauma is held somatically. And we have to address the whole of who we are. Like I said, mind, body, spirit. Mm -hmm. and, and to really experience what I call this healing beyond recovery. Tell me about what you do with, with a client in working beyond so, so I think you were about to ask maybe if what is be what is the healing beyond recovery? Yes. Mm -hmm. And and what I want to say to that is is um, freedom in the present moment, agency over what's happening in you, self awareness to be able to take the steps or not take the steps that you choose to in life to be who you are fully, to feel comfortable in your own skin, mm -hmm. to not be per perpetually hunted by the stories of the past, mm. to access the present moment. Bessel van der Kolk says, trauma is an illness of not being alive in the present moment. If I asked most of your listeners today who are in recovery, how many of you guys are still suffering living in the past or future? And everyone's like, oh my God, well, that's a trauma response. The trauma, you, you can't have traumatic activation and be in the present moment. But many people don't understand that the way they're feeling, okay, is, is because of that. So let me, let me, so all of those things are the healing beyond recovery. Now, I don't have a magic wand and say, okay, I'm going to give you all of those. Everyone's journey is a journey. It is a process. It's an unfolding so my work is embarking on this journey with people to explore what's underneath, to begin to help empower them to find the present moment, regulate their nervous system, find the peace amidst the storm. That's the equanimity that we can cultivate, right? Mindfulness and self-awareness is essential for healing, especially healing trauma. Right, so I have a holistic recovery wheel, which uh, is a is a spoke of a bunch of spokes of a wheel, and for example, there's addressing trauma. There's addressing now when we address trauma, people get really oh my god, they get shaken up by that, and I appreciate that and understand, but it's not even the stories of what happened to us that are most important. It's the activation in your body that was created from what happened to you. So I don't need to hear everyone's deep, dark stories to actually begin to heal their trauma. We have to begin to cultivate and, 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 and find resilience and find agency in the nervous system that they can actually work with the traumatic activation, deep breathing, right? Um, uh, mindfulness work, uh, you know, um, uh, compassion work, right? So, 
Traumas one spoke of the wheel, recovery, spirituality, work-life purpose. Are you living your purpose or are you showing up to a job that you hate every day in recovery? That affects how you feel, right? You're, you know, uh, so, so gut, gut, you know, gut physical health, nutrition. These are all things we have to address if you want to experience what I like to say, this healing beyond recovery. So those are some of the areas. And once again, it's a, it's an exploration and everyone shows up at a different place. So my job as a coach, as a mentor, is to meet them where they're at with openness, with compassion, with understanding, right? You've, you've heard my suffering, so my story of suffering. So you know, you know, there's not much that rattles my boat, I can tell you that. And, and just holding space. And the healing happens in the therapeutic relationship. Well, you, I mean, it sounds like it's a very intimate experience you have with your clients. There has to be a lot of trust. Yes. And, and safety, as Stephen Porges would say, safety is the medicine. Because we mm. can't do anything unless, we can't heal unless we feel safe. You know, there is so much hope in recovery that we can, we can get better and we can feel better and we can love ourselves enough to do our life's purpose. You know, this, this is like, I've always, I, I feel like this podcast of mine, I've, I've said it before. I feel like a million times it's becoming like a ministry to me. Mm. I, I love it. I think about it all the time. And you, what you're doing today, Mike, is um i mean how would you describe it like would you describe it my job it's more like my passion it's my yeah. dharma it's my it's my it's my purpose right as one yeah. of my mentors says your trauma is a prerequisite to your purpose yeah so i chased most things and at the end, I was making six figures in my 20s. I was doing well. I had two homes by the, by the time I was 27, right? On no parental help. And, you know, I was still trying to search for more. I was still, but being of service to other people and having gone through what I've gone through, today I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. It's uh, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Cause it, it just, you know, I, I'm, I kind of like to see life through rose color glasses, you know, like I love to see the hope in our future and especially during these times that are, you know, quite frightening and um, somebody like you, who's, who's your life could have gone and, in a very different direction, but you took it to a place of, of, um, of love. Mm, and, yeah. and, and I think that's, that's beautiful. When I ask people, you know, for a testimony on what I help them most with is often it's, we don't know how to put it, but I sum it up as I helped you heal the relationship with you. Oh, I love that. And how many of us in recovery, not because we're bad people, but as children, we were neglected and children, you know, we can't make sense of the situation. So we listened to the tapes of how bad we were or how, you know, troubled we are, or we got into drugs and alcohol because of the trauma and the pain we experienced. And then we hurt other people and we did things we weren't proud of. And then we have this idea of, okay, we're these tainted bad people. And that's not true. Now, if you look at alcoholism or addiction as a disease, which I don't, but if you do, you can use it in the context of disease, this quote I will, I will share with you, as alcohol or, or substance abuse being a disease, or maybe you're suffering from an illness of, of some sort, but all sickness is homesickness. All healing is self-healing, a journey back home to your true self. And this is the mm. journey we're all on. We're going back home to us. I love that. That makes me want to cry. <laughs> yes. So, so welcome beautiful. home yeah. if you're feeling you're back home. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I want everyone in the world to journey back to, back yeah. to themselves. It, it, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is why we're here. Yeah. Like standing up like for a Lamborghini, like cool. If you, if you have enough money for a Lamborghini, shit, I hope to have a Lamborghini one day, maybe, I don't know. But like <laughs> purpose is to do our work. It's not here to collect shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're here to do our work. We're here to open to love. Mm -hmm. We're here to see that, that God is no separate. It's within, it's without. Mm -hmm. And awaken to that. So this is a journey of consciousness. In fact, Gabor Mate, the world's expert in trauma addiction says, the cure to addiction is consciousness. What does that mean? It means awakening to the higher self and in the part of you that knows what's going on. Now, the Buddhists may call it the, the uh, bodhicitta energy of compassion, of wakefulness. The Christ, Christians may call it the Christ consciousness. The Atman is, is this is a journey of, of, of consciousness to begin to awaken to the truth of who we are, our experience, and be able to hold it in a way that leads to more of this compassion, more of this understanding, this wisdom, this healing, versus continuing to get stuck in the cyclical cycles that are driven by the unconscious, right? As Carl mm -hmm. Jung says, then we call it fate. Mm -hmm. It's not fate what happened to us. What happened to each and every one of us is divine. It's what we do with it from here. And mm. now our pain and our trouble is now causing us to come to the present moment. And that's what happened to me. My muscles disappeared. I disintegrated from 180 pounds, 190 pounds down to 145. And I had to, I had to explore who I was without all these layers. Mm. So the journey is back home to us. What you're doing is just amazing. And it's just so, it gives me so much hope for, for anyone who's really, you know, really, really stuck. And they don't have, like, they can't figure out through, you know, medicine, what's going on with their bodies to the, that we can, we have so much power to heal ourselves in, in a lot of ways is what I'm hearing you say. For sure. um, and, um, but with guidance, like with somebody who's been through it, who understands it and who's knowledgeable about um, these, these bodies that our souls are having an experience in. <laughs> so can I, can I share about that real quick? Yeah, of course. When I had ulcerative colitis and went to the, the doctors, right? Now, I'm not bashing mainstream medicine, but there's a lot of missing parts to it. Mm -hmm. And I had a full ulcerated colon at 25 years old. Do you think the guy in the white coat ever just put his hand around me and said, hey, Michael, as a doctor, right? Tell me what happened to you. Uh, How did you get to have a whole ulcerated colon? Do you think yeah. anyone ever asked me that question? Probably no. not, no. No one did. So our biography of what happened to us ends up in our, our biology. Mm. The story of what happened to us and how we became to be this way are not separate. How did you become an addict? I'm not asking that, that, that for you, Sarah, but mm -hmm. the listeners, how, what, what made you want to use the substances? What did the substance do for you? Well, it allowed me to calm down. I felt like I could be myself. I felt like I could date for the first time. I felt like I could speak my truth. I felt like I could relax. Beautiful. Why couldn't we relax in the first day? Well, I grew up in a difficult household. My dad was abusive. And it's like, we have to begin to see through a much bigger lens than just this one narrow, I'm an alcoholic or drug addict. Mm -hmm. we're so much more and we have to understand that the story or biography and the addiction of what happened here are directly correlated oh, so fun. people have to ask the right questions yeah you have to get support mm -hmm. you know i didn't get to yeah. where i am by you know sitting on my ass 
I've been working hard at this. I've been in, I've gone to the jungles of, of uh, Costa Rica with the shamans to, you know, um, all sorts of, you know, different procedures that you can't do in normal medicine and, and mm -hmm. uh, emotional healing, trauma healing. I have my own therapist today. I have my own coach. I have a mentor. You know, yeah. we have to get support. Yeah. Tra trauma happens because lack of support. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. And because that, that's something that comes up in every single one of my episodes is that, you know, I ask my guest, is there one thing you'd like to, you know, leave with the listeners? And every, every guest usually says, let people help you or ask for help or don't do this alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and I think it's true, you know, it, to have like a, a community around you that can help you and have uh, people who you trust um, that can guide you in your healing journey is so essential. And to be open to that, um, have an open heart to hear it and, um, about what can help you. Um, and it's because it, it's doing it alone. It's really lonely. <laughs> we, we can't. No, we, yeah. we can't. We're, we're, we're social primates. Yeah. We're, we're meant for connection. Yeah. Right? You hear the story of a lot of people who isolate in recovery. Mm -hmm. That's not because something's wrong with them. You know what that's about? That's because they don't have access to the hierarchy of their nervous system called the social engagement system. Mm. They don't feel safe around people. People hurt them. Mm. Wouldn't you isolate? Of course you would. Yeah. So there's, 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 a, there's a method and a means to what, why we do what we do. So part of my work is helping you break the patterns that keep you stuck. And you can't do that yourself. As Einstein says, we can't solve a problem at the level of consciousness that created it. We have to help the person engage in the shift of their own consciousness so they can see them in their situation with new eyes. As Marcel Proust says, the voyage of discovery is not seeking new landscapes, but in seeing with new eyes. How can you see uh, addiction, your pain, your trauma as a pathway to healing of awakening In that, my friends, you need help doing. <laughs> I needed help doing. I still need help doing. <laughs> yeah. Same. Same here. <laughs> yeah. So, but what, what really kills me, uh, I'll be very transparent with the listeners right now, is many people are willing to invest in their purses, in their cars, in their fancy clothes. And they're suffering and dying inside, but they mm -hmm. won't invest in their healing work. Mm -hmm. That, that I, am, I, I get baffled. Well, I, I've done that for some time. And uh, it's really that mud that drives us. Because we don't change by what we know. Many of us know we know we need to eat better. We need to, we need to get support. We need help. But we, we don't change by what we know. We change by how we feel. So when a pattern in your life that comes up that's really painful or a painful situation that comes up, a breakup, a death, or this or that, and it's calling you to reach out for help, beautiful. Our patterns continue to repeat until we're ready to learn them. But can you invest in yourself and your healing work so you actually get something from it rather than something you may throw in the trash down the road? Thank you so much, Mike. This has been great talking with you. I'm excited for you. It sounds like you have a fun day ahead of you playing golf. I do, yes. I'm going to do some video work. I'm going to play some golf and um, just relax. Well, enjoy the day. And thank you so much again, Mike, for taking the time to share your journey, a part of your journey, and what you do now today. Um, I, I feel so blessed.
Yeah, you're so welcome. And thanks for allowing me to speak on your show and uh, to all the listeners out there, um, you can heal no matter what your story may be. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it. Thank you.